Hello listeners, if you are curious about technical communications, then this podcast is for you. On each episode, I will interview a guest who will share the unique journey. This is Inside Techcom with Sahara Matabana. Let's get started. I'm honored to welcome today's guest and a very good friend of mine, Teresa Wing. Teresa, I hope you I got your name right, but can you please pronounce it the original way for our listeners? Oh, I'd love that. You are so intentional about that, Sora. Yes, I'm so happy to be on the show and I I love that, you know, we are good friends beyond this, but uh, yes. My last name is pronounced Wing. It is a very common Vietnamese last name. I sometimes tell people it's the Smiths of Vietnamese last names, but uh, yeah, that's um, the, the accent. It's kind of uh, all of the, the letters are silent, almost <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yes. And I think, I hope I did justice to your last name. You really did. And I yeah. keep practicing. I promise about that. You did wonderful. I, Thank I got you. a million different ways to, and, and you were, yeah. I'm close, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Teresa, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. It's a beautiful winter day here in Dallas, Texas. We're in the same uh, part of the country and state. So uh, yeah, I'm happy. I would agree. Yes. And I love your background. If our listeners could see, as you said, it's very Zen. So with that Zen picture in our minds, let's move forward. (sighs) Yes. Yes. Nice deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to turn into a meditation. (laughs) Let's attempt that. How about that? (laughs) So Teresa. Tell us a little about yourself. Oh, gosh. Okay. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I know it, it runs deep, but just a brief introduction will do for now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. This, so I am Vietnamese American and, and the question of, you know, where are you from? Always <laughs> comes at me at different, in different ways. But I feel really comfortable answering this question with you, you know, because we are friends and we do know each other on a personal level. Professionally, I am a user experience researcher. Currently, I work with a consultancy in Dallas called Project 202. I work with different clients from all different industries. Yeah, that's probably the most relatable uh, version of my identity to most of your listeners. And I could go on about more than that if, uh, if that's part of it. <laughs> yes, we and the whole intention is to kind of go on that journey with you, to learn a little more about you, your profession. Um, as we all know, we're winding down a pretty... Uh, very different year than any of us have really experienced before. But one thing that I've really actually appreciated has been the opportunity and the time to reflect and like really think about how important it is to me personally to be able to show up as my my whole self in any space. And not I love that. I love space. that. You know, when you started with your introduction, Vietnamese American, we all have these identities that we tend to hide and we only put a part of ourselves out there. So the fact that you're mentioning that you're trying to bring your whole self to wherever you are, sometimes it can be challenging, but it can also be very revealing and refreshing. Yeah, revealing to yourself, you know, because some of us haven't had the space to really think about who we are and where we come from and also revealing about the spaces that we inhabit. That got me thinking that technical communications has a lot that intersects with user experience and in terms of the user analysis, in terms of the usability, in terms of the content that a user writes. And then content is the key here that intersects between user experience and technical communications. And I thought, wow, I'm having Teresa very soon on my show. And I want to understand from her 
how can these two fields kind of come together and what can we take away from these fields? That is a really exciting preview of what is to come in this episode. I'm excited. As you were talking about user experience, the professional blends into the personal, especially lately, a lot for me. So I'm going to start with like the most professional things and then we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So what I mean by that is, I mean, let's just take the title uh, or, you know, the, the craft, if you will, of user experience and let's look at experience. An experience isn't just digital. It isn't even just in person. It's a blend of, of everything and the way that you interpret the world. And from a user's perspective, I look at that as a researcher, as looking at them as a whole person. Yes, you, you do want to you know, understand where the product that you're testing or working on or trying to learn about or the domain fits into this person's life. But the most effective research and the most effective insights are going to consider this as a whole human being and a person. And um, that, off, that presents a lot of challenges too, you know, because we have to think about our personal biases, you know, the ones we are and aren't aware of. So I, I love this field um, because it is, it's, it's very human. It's about humans and how to make life better for humans who use things that other humans make. Actually, you know, something that got my attention was when you said human. And when I started my career, what I heard first was human interaction. And I think by, by what the field has come to be known today as user experience, I think that human element has kind of somewhere been lost. And that is my perception as I think deeper. But as you mentioned, the human element and the experience, it kind of, it's also, again, revealing to me that, no, the experience is your, your, you are starting to focus on the whole rather than just the user itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know we're going to talk about technical communication at some point and how I, I got into that and why I'm probably mostly on this show, but I mean, really the, I feel the responsibility of all of those crafts of content strategists, of UX researchers and designers, of tech writers, technical communicators, our responsibility is, is to hold software and the products and, and the people who develop and make them and market those things, hold them accountable to the fact that it is for humans. A lot of people will say that they champion, you know, the user <laughs> and the humans in any discussion that has to do with that. So, wow, yeah. I, I like the strong stand you're taking there when you say that the people who are developing this, we have to make them accountable. Mm-hmm. I would love to dig deeper into that, but on another day, because I, I definitely would love to come back to that. And I could dedicate a whole episode to just talk about that because there's so much, so much that's going on with that word accountable there. And as a technical communicator, I'm thinking, right, what I'm doing is my craft holding the people who are developing the product accountable because from from an outsider's perspective, that's not what's happening. But I think we are kind of starting to go into the philosophical aspects of our crafts. And I want to come back to you because your time is precious. And I want the user experience part of your journey to come through and shed light on what our listeners can take away. And with that, we did talk about how the two fields intersect. But you had a brief stay, a kind of brief contact with technical communications. So can you share a little bit about that, what your background was and how did you become a UX researcher? Because you were not a UX researcher when you started your career. So definitely go ahead and share that with us. That's correct. Yeah. I I hadn't even heard about UX or what it even was. It was just two letters that I saw somewhere. I didn't know what they meant. (laughs) 
So I came from journalism. I went to school for journalism and I did a mix of, of newspaper, like print and television. So I did broadcast um, journalism for a that little. That sounds very cool to me, actually. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was a pretty fun job, I will say. Yeah. It, and, uh, and I think the reason I, I brought up like the whole human experience part of it was because that is really the, the thread, the through line of all three of these things. Because, you know, what I love about all three of these, of these different fields is that you have the opportunity to get paid to understand people better on a very human Ooh, level. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just something that it's just it's a no brainer for me as if I could do something like that as a career. I understood early on that there are different ways of that. And so journalism happened to be, you know, the thing that I was interested in because I was interested in current events I like to write. And I didn't even realize then like how many skills that I would pick up in it. And then that would then end up transferring really, really well into tech writing and, and uh, UX. Yeah, I guess it makes sense to start off with what I liked about journalism and what I didn't like and why I moved, you know, from one to the next. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, I, I just love that, that you get access as a journalist, you know, to different domains. I get to talk to all the subject matter experts, if you will. In yes. Politics. In, uh, in when I worked, I, I worked um, the conservation beats for this community that I was in. So I got to follow the, you know, the county like naturalist and geologist around. And that was kind of the subject matter that I was in. And then I also did like recreation. So I spoke with a lot of people who organized sports and community events like that. In, wow, uh, sounds fascinating. Yeah, it was fun. And it was it was up my alley, you know, because I was I was an athlete at the time. So I got to just, like, just get to wait, know. you were an athlete. Okay, how did the two blend together? Now, this doesn't make sense, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wind it a little more. And, uh, yeah, so I, I played a lot of basketball. I was a basketball player. Okay. Um, yeah, I went to college on a scholarship for it, and I majored in journalism. And, uh, yeah, played ball and uh, reported the news. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> so that inspired you to get into journalism. Well, I think there were two. They were just two passions that I decided. Like, two you know, passions. All yeah. right. Okay. Now something makes sense to me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The basketball is probably like least related to any of this, but it, <laughs> I'm sure it'll, we'll find a way for it to come full circle if we, if we really try. And, we'll um, figure it out. I try. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the journalism, you know, I love being able to interview people and come up with questions ahead of time based on what we wanted to know and what the story was and how the story is compelling to a community and, and society. So storytelling is another thread that goes through all of these things. And yeah, and it was also, I think what tied directly, most directly into how I ended up looking at technical writing as a career was the, you know, the, the process of researching, you know, potentially a very complicated matter, like a political issue or something and understanding all of the nuances around it, all the different viewpoints, and then distilling that into something that makes sense, something that is closer to plain language that you can report on TV. Because the thing with communicating on, on screen is that you want to be very conversational. And so that was actually a skill that is, is still something I, I am polishing and working on. But writing, communicating through writing is different than communicating through speaking. You don't want to speak into your television into the people sitting on their couches as if you were writing, you know, human. So the communication aspect of it um, really was, it was a challenge that I loved to, to take complex information and make it easy to understand. 
yeah, and to get to do that in so many different fields and have access to that was just really exciting. It was, it's, it's, life is an adventure and I love to, to look at it that way. I loved everything that you talked about in your experience as a journalist. One was the storytelling aspect and telling a compelling story. But then the challenge of, well, not the challenge, but the, the fact that when you're speaking, it's different from how you write, how you communicate through writing. So is that the reason why you explored technical communications? Is that what you wanted to kind of polish up on, if you will? Yeah, that's, that's definitely, yeah, I, I said that that was the most direct, like, thread. I mean, the other one, the, I guess the one that really prompted me to take action was more of, uh, so, you know, as a journalist, your job is to find the truth and tell the truth mm-hmm. and to understand the problems but your job is not to be the one to necessarily solve them. You're presenting the facts, you're presenting the story, you're presenting mm. viewpoints. Um, you got to be very objective about it. Yeah, and and I say objective in, you know, air, with air quotes because I Yes, yes. No one is going to be 100%, you know, unbiased. And yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's good. It's important to have a viewpoint and an opinion on things. But as a journalist, you know, there's there's a certain point that you you can't cross depending mm. on who you work for, I guess. And I think I do like kind of framing it through my, my desire to be able to solve problems and to affect solutions to those problems. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. as we talk about this transition into the different fields, because technical communication is about uncovering the truth and, and telling the truth and documenting the truth. You are writing. Ooh, that, that sounds so deep. <laughs> just, it, it sounds very deep because I've never thought about technical communications as something that is uncovering the truth and for you to share that perspective is actually uh, pretty neat, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, that's um, I've, I've actually never worded it that way before. But thanks to the way that you're you're framing this conversation and the opportunity you're giving me to speak about it, um, I'm I'm glad that came out, and I, I hope that offers a unique perspective, or at least a, another way of saying it. Yeah, I, I think when you think about your day to day as a writer, you're trying to document how the product works, but at the end of the day, you are trying to as I said, trying to discover the truth about that product. Yes, there is a business need and you're trying to solve the business need, but you're sort of on a mission as a writer to get the truth out of your SMEs, your subject matter experts, so that you can solve a problem and help somebody out there. Yeah, okay. I'm going to write something down that you just said. I'll get to it when we get to the UX part. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really good. And technical writers do even more than that. You know, you document the truth, but you take it a step further and you take the time to understand the users and then to create a bridge between those things and to uncover the value then beyond that. Beyond that, absolutely. Yeah. I think we need to have more such discussions. That's the objective of our conversation is to kind of discover these hidden messages that are kind of tucked in deep within our fields and to bring them to the surface. I love that. Yeah. I totally, man, I'm discovering my own field. I've been in it for so long. (laughs) Oh, all right. So you did technical writing. I want you to share what you did as a technical writer, because I know it was a very brief journey into technical communications before you went on to become a, a UX researcher. Yeah. So I don't know if this is unconventional. I think, I feel like maybe it is, but when I think about, and when I have thought about switching careers, because that's something that is so common now. So, you know, more and more people are switching careers multiple times in their life. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. So my, my, my philosophy around career and career switching, especially we'll go with career switching was so the more established that I get, you know, in UX, UX research right now, I get a lot of, you know, people who are in the process of transitioning and the, com- the most common question I get is, and I actually got this very recently is, you know, what's your recommendation on what classes I should take? Should I go to school for this? Should I go to um, a, like an expensive boot camp? Like, is this worth the investment? I try to reframe the decision making process around like whether mm-hmm. this is a suitable field. Because yes, I mean, maybe you want to pursue more education, but there's other ways to do it. If you don't have the resources, you know, I, I didn't have the resources to take an expensive university course around tech writing. Um, you know the story. We yes. I don't talk about it, but you know, there's very, you know, if you we're naturally curious, I would say, if you work in any of these fields, any of the three. You know, journalism, tech writing, and UX, you're generally curious and you're probably a pretty resourceful person. But if there's a lack of resources that you have, you're going to be even more resourceful. So I don't, and I think that that probably has influenced a lot of my moves, the way that I move through life and through my careers. It's not just to think about the education and what you need to know, but it's also understanding like, what is it really like to build a career? And that involves networking. It involves understanding who the people other people who are doing this, who they work with, and just kind of building that out. And that, yeah. So for context for the listeners, what this event was, it was a meetup group that I found. I think it's just like Google technical writing in Dallas. I just moved here from Iowa where I was going to school doing the journalism thing. So I was in a bigger city. This is a new career path. I was like, okay, I have no idea where to start. Let's go to Google. (laughs) And so, yeah, I wanted to find who else was doing this, if there were any professional organizations around it. And fortunately, there was a a Dallas chapter or North Texas chapter, I should say. Oh, I didn't know that. So you just Googled up and that's how you landed up at the event? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So that's important. What you're saying is networking, reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you discovered this. Exactly. Yeah. At the time, meetup.com was pretty big. It's not that huge. I mean, Maybe it is, but um, back then, you know, meetup.com was a way for me to find people like friends, like similar hobbies, but also there's a lot of professional organizations on there. So I'm pretty sure that's how I found you. So maybe that and or Google, some combination of the two. But but that's good to mention, right? Whatever, see the technology and the platforms may change, but seeking out that community to network with, whatever your curiosity is at that point in time, to act on it, you never know where that can take you. So I would have had no idea where that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the networking, you know, a lot of people associate that with like really, you know, ulterior motives and kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like smarmy. (laughs) Yeah. Like networking doesn't have to be like that. It's just, for me, it was just a, it was just a way for me to learn more about this field that I was interested in. And it was just an educational opportunity too. It's, it's, it's all mixed in together into that. It's not just about handing a business. It doesn't have to be that transactional. You know, you're building relationships and you're sharing knowledge and you're sharing about yourself and you're learning about other people and how they got into it. And yeah. This goes back to what you said earlier, right? That your personal and professional blend. So when you network, you are looking for that personal connection as well. So networking, it doesn't have to be about quote unquote schmooze. And I think schmoozing is not bad at all. If you have the gift of gab, go for it. But networking can be can be deep too. But you you have to put yourself out there. You have to connect with people. Let's say that. Let's you have to connect with people if you want to discover, and especially if if you're looking for resources and you don't have deep pockets. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, to tap into, then this is your opportunity because people are there to teach you and to work with you and to mentor you. But you have to first reach out to build that bridge. Yeah, exactly. And it's and so much of it is just being yourself, but bringing a really positive energy. And I think I'm generally just a positive, energetic person. I would agree. I would agree. I would absolutely <laughs> agree. So you attended that first event. And then what happened? Oh, God. And then, um, so this particular event was, it was the president of STC National. That's probably why I I felt like I needed to come dressed in a... (laughs) Oh, I didn't... (laughs) (laughs) I was like the president of this whole, not just the president of like the Dallas chapter, but the president. Yeah. And I felt really lucky. I was like, wow, what, what great timing. You know, like the next live meeting that they have, they happen to have this person and um, her name is Kit Brown Hoekstra, I believe. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, she's wonderful. I, I had a chance to meet her at the summit too. And yeah, it was great. So what came of that was, you know, I, I came with this really, you know, energetic vibe and really curious, really thirsty for knowledge and, you know, growth. And yeah, I just kind of latched on. And, and actually, like uh, the people who are already on the board, I guess liked that and liked, you know, thought I had something to to on like help with this chapter to help it grow and and receive, you know, a lot of mentorship in return for that. And that's that's how that worked out. And then um I learned more about the opportunities that STC as an organization offered uh through the membership. So that's how I got connected and ended up getting sent to Ohio to the National Summit <laughs> for free and networking there and then that might've been where I first heard about personas and met somebody who was, who gave a talk about them. So that was really, so yeah. was that, what did that trigger your exploration about UX user experience? Well, where did that start? You know, we've talked about you coming into technical communications and kind of discovering this community, but then something happened in that period, which kind of put you on the path to becoming a UX researcher. So what triggered that? Yeah, so I had been volunteering with the chapter in various different ways. And I somewhere along the line, I took a uh, technical communications 101. Uh, it was a certificate. Mm-hmm. It was kind of pricey. Like It took me a little while to pay that off. But I was like, you know what? I, I really want to, to further my education in this because there are a lot of like really specific skills that I want to get better at. And that course really taught me how to write in a more succinct way and how to present information that is hierarchy of information and how to just break things down. Mm-hmm. How to work with content. Exactly. I remember that the first assignment in it was to like write a paragraph or something. And uh, most people's paragraphs got torn apart because they were too wordy. They were too flowery. Brevity is the yes. name of the game. Oh, yeah. I got mine got torn up pretty bad. because. Oh. It- in it, I spoke about being a journalist. <laughs> I thought I was all, you know, I was slick. I was going to go in there and, you know, rock it. Then that, no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, even that was reality check. And it just really highlights, like you're saying, the art of writing in that manner and not just writing, but also interpreting information and thinking about it. That is an mm-hmm. art. That's something that robots aren't, <laughs> I don't think ever going to be able to do as well as we I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think so. And then, um, yeah, and, and in the process of that, and it was, so I finished the class and then I kept networking and then I started to apply to jobs. So I had like one, it was not, it was a, I can't even call it a portfolio. It was an assignment. <laughs> and I still remember it and I still actually refer to it sometimes in conversation when I explain what tech writing is. Uh-huh. But the example, uh, 
Okay, that's a tangent. So I finished the class and then I was looking for jobs. And then in the process of that, you know, I, I look at job descriptions, I look at different companies, I look at what the role of a tech writer is in these different companies. And mm-hmm. then I just, I don't get anywhere. You know, they all are asking for five years of experience, 10 years. I'm so um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And even the entry level ones, it was just like, I just didn't feel like I had, like, you know, just nothing opened up. And then we had a speaker for the North Texas Lone Star SEC chapter. His name is Brian Sullivan, and he was a prominent member, you know, a leader in for the UXPA, so the User Experience Professionals Association. It's an international organization that's been around for a long time, and this is the Dallas chapter of it. Mm-hmm. And so we had him come in as a speaker, and yeah, he talked about what UX is, and he talked about design thinking, and he talked about personas, all that wow. stuff. Wow, and that was your foray into user experience. Yeah. Yep. And then I checked him out in his organization and they had a meetup and I went to one of their events and uh, a lot happened between that and getting my first job. But again, another like pretty non-traditional way to get into an industry. Um, I made a a TV show about it. You know, I want you to talk about that because uh, the traditional path is either through upgrading your skills or your educational qualifications. And you had a very unconventional path. And I know that you had your fair share of challenges, but please share with our audience what that journey was like. There is so much to learn from that experience, not just personally for me, but I think there is something that our listeners can take away because I think you were undaunted. You had this goal in mind and I know you were you know, you had set your eyes to get there and you got there. And that's why I think your unconventional journey is that much more important. Please do share with us. Yes. I haven't actually talked about this one in a while. So just to kind of set the stage, I went to this UX meetup and it just so happened that the topic of the meetup was, it was, it was like a fundraiser for this group of a couple of guys who wanted to make, or kind of already making a web series about the user experience profession in the field. Mm-hmm. So um, just a quick and dirty like overview of what it was. It was like a kind of like a Shark Tank type of show mm-hmm. um, where you, um, so this version of it though had startups come on and pitch their products. So startups, you know, they're, most of them were like- What pretty- an awesome opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a panel. Each episode had a different panel of user experience experts, what they they called them. So these people have been working in this field for a long time and they understand how to break products down, break user flows down and critique them in a, you know, yeah, like a Shark Tank style. So they're not investing their money in these stars, but they're offering them critique. And it was a really, it was a cool concept. It was very educational. and And I got to learn about different startups and industries. It was a really interesting thing into that. So what I, what I saw from that opportunity was a chance to leverage skills that I already had, which were video production and camera work and working with scripts and working with that like audiovisual equipment. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it just makes sense. I was I was doing some of that stuff for SDC like a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it's, why would I want to go pay thousands of dollars for a certificate, you know, when I could actually learn directly from experts who are working in the field, nothing against professors. So I have the deepest respect for like academia, Absolutely. <laughs> especially, especially as a researcher now. But yeah, it was, it was great. I, I would build, be building my network with all of these professionals. And I knew that these were like very experienced people. And a lot of them actually, you know, come from technical communication in a lot of ways. Uh, many of them did. 
So yeah, and that ended up turning into a whole tour and I got to meet experts in all different cities between here on the West Coast. We filmed in like nine or 10 different cities and it was kind of a coming of coming of age, if you can even say that. I was like in my 20s, but it was its own coming of age journey. And, you know, because we were a startup ourselves and we were very scrappy and mm-hmm. everything that you watch in like the show Silicon Valley <laughs> was yeah. some of what <laughs> ended up happening with, with that whole group. But it was such a cool experience. And I'll always be, you know, thankful for the opportunity that the timing worked out so well, you know, that I got to meet those guys and, and then all the people that I met through there. So many of them are still in my network to this day. And that was like five, six years ago, I think now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know it, it's, it's been a while, but I think, from your story, what I want to kind of focus on is it's not that the education will not take you far. It will definitely add value. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. And like you said, if you can, if you have the resources, please do go seek out that education. You will definitely get value out of that. But if you don't have that opportunity, this is another way to plug into the community. And you would have not had that opportunity if you had not put yourself out there. And more importantly, leveraged on your skills because you brought something to the table. As much as you were trying to learn from this community of people, you had something. So if you have something to give, think about it. What can you bring to the table? And we all have something to bring to the table. So along the lines of storytelling, um, a skill that I honestly haven't actually used this particular method with in my UX career yet, but storyboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, when I worked in journalism, it wasn't just the news. Um, I also made like um, documentaries. Um, and that is absolutely like a little bit more of like a long form storytelling, right? It's not just a daily or weekly like news piece that just, you know, no one's ever going to watch again. But um, it's a, doc- a documentary and um, it gets really in depth in the things. But the way that you approach that from a story perspective, it kind of actually like the skill itself and, and that way of framing and thinking has helped in my, in my research, when I am past the point of having conducted the interviews and, and spoken to the users and analyzed and synthesized the data, then I have to report those findings and tell people why the hell they should care about all that stuff that you just paid me to do, <laughs> you know, cause it has to matter. It has to matter. And the way that decision makers who are human beings mm. interpret that is through story. Yes. You can throw a slide full of numbers and bullet points at them, but What's the story? What's what are they supposed to remember from all of this? Mm-hmm. About what are they supposed to know about their users in order to design a product that meets their needs and objectives. So it looks like your experience as a journalist has definitely brought not just value but significant value. It's transferred over really well into what you're doing currently. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, interviewing people. The difference is in journalism, you would I would interview people who didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. So now, now people want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're usually kind of they're getting paid ideally. <laughs> of course, of course. So yes, they expect me to, you know, be speaking with them, and I don't have to track them down and <laughs> knock on their door. Ah, <laughs> oh, that must be such a relief, right? <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, it's I mean, nice. Recruiting users is a challenge sometimes, but um, I'm not having to like fight all the time for it. So. Yeah. See, and sometimes as technical writers. We kind of have to, and I say this with the utmost respect, we have to plead with our subject matter experts for content. Yeah, that was one of the things I wrote down. So there is, I I would say, a difference in 
like how much you actually work with a subject matter expert of a product mm -hmm. in technical writing than you do in UX research and design. Obviously, UX needs to understand the product on a technical level and understand how it works. We definitely don't spend as much time on that because we're not the ones documenting the nuts and bolts of it. So mm -hmm. that's why technical writers, technical communicators talk to the SMEs more. Where we interact the most is during like uh, like the kickoff of a new project. And we have uh, what's called stakeholder interviews. And that may or may not involve a technical subject matter expert, but it involves all of the stakeholders of this particular product or company. That means stakeholder basically is just like, it could be somebody in the C-suite, an executive. It could be uh, head of marketing. It could be head of any number of departments, sales, products, mm -hmm. design, mm -hmm. design and research um, of the client side. So that really, to me, was the kind of hints at the reason that I, another big reason I switched to UX, because I think you know what I'm getting at, because yes. you probably heard it in the other podcast, but yeah, for technical writers, what one thing that I really picked up on, like a sentiment that I picked up on, was the challenge of not being able to affect the actual design of a product. It's more like you're documenting what's there and you are in a position to, you are extremely well-informed and in a fantastic position to point out the problems about it. But I, I didn't find that people that I spoke with, you know, when, when I would, you know, ask about what's challenging about their job, um, it was one of them. It was just like, yeah, we just don't have a lot of influence in the actual, like, yes. Thank you for, first of all, bringing this up. And that was going to be one of my questions. So you naturally segue to the, you know, to that point of our conversation. So you think the stakeholders would benefit by including technical writers? 100% I do. Yeah. Um, I can actually remember, um, since I know, you know, we do want to talk about how we collaborate with tech writers as um, a UX team. And I have only been on one project where the technical writer was really even mentioned and when it when they were mentioned, it was like, should we include them in this next meeting or not? And I I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for championing yeah, for yeah. us. Those are my people. Yes, I want to speak with the technical writer because what, what what we were doing, we were looking at it was a new product, and they had kind of like a beta version of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's there was like this help section, right? Because there's always a help section. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the document, the help documentation, as a researcher. I wanted to know, like, what are people struggling with? You know, people are using this help. Who's writing it? I want to know who's writing because that's probably the person who's going to know what people are are asking about the most. And maybe this person has access to the user. Maybe they have a persona already. You know, I'm a researcher, but like, I'm not going to walk in here and ex expect to like be the expert about them and be the one to make the UX person. I'm like, no, I, I know already from my past experience with STC. So was it helpful? Did you eventually get access to that technical writer? I did. Yes. She uh, came into the next meeting and uh, yeah, I, I did learn some things, but I, I don't like that project kind of dropped off or like, I didn't really actually get to work with them. So yeah. But I, I, in whatever that brief encounter was like, you yes. think you definitely see a, a value in that partnership there. Yes. Yes. They were valuable conversations too that, that came out of that because of the people who were in the room. And the other stakeholders. So we had like the product manager, we had a business analyst, we had the UX team, and then we had a tech writer who was able to speak to those things. And she never would have had that chance if if no one had really, you know, raised their hand and said, "Hey, yeah, let's bring in the tech writer." And yeah, yeah. Already information that and, and knowledge about your users and, and your 
market that you already have. Why wouldn't you use this person? So the more we can bring the different players of the team together, there's definitely more power to that because we will all work towards that same objective and we'll be in sync at that point. And probably you might get your documentation a day earlier because, you know, the writers are part of the, the design and the review process. No kidding. But, yeah, uh, it, is, it is a very powerful collaboration. One of the things that I, I, I loved a lot when I started to hear it in the UX industry was the, the rejection of lorem ipsum in your prototypes. Huh. So you okay. don't want lorem ipsum because, you know, lorem ipsum, if you, you know, in case anyone doesn't know, it's just filler. It's filler words. It's just like, oh, I have, you know, this wireframe and I know that there's some written content that like needs to go here. You know, you know, I don't care about finding out what that is. So I'm just going to fill in some gibberish in there and just, just for now, you know, and then we'll kind of just design and build. This is deep, Teresa. <laughs> yeah, because again, we are getting into the philosophical discussion, which is important. What you're yeah, trying well, to say is yeah, let's not trivialize that content. Yeah, this isn't even philosophical. This is extremely practical. Like, mm. is that's, you know, that when you're designing a prototype, there are decisions like around interactions and around the visual design of something like websites say that you need to understand, like, how big, how much space do we need here for the content? And if you don't mm. know what the content is, is it going to be three sentences or is it going to be three paragraphs? That's going to affect ah. the time of all of this, of your wireframe and of your prototype and content strategy. I mean, when you, Going back to the word experience and user experience, content and words are a huge part of the experience. Is there any advice that you would like to give to our listeners? Yeah, going from technical writing to UX research. So if you look at like a subject matter expert interview, or even a user interview, like a persona interview, you're already doing UX research there where it extends into its own field is where you pick up different methodologies mm-hmm. to answer different questions, to answer deeper questions about not just the product, but also about the market and about the users and how all of that connects into the business goals and how that actually directly informs the design from the get-go, whether it's a new iteration of a particular flow or whether it's a completely new project or product, excuse me. That's where research comes in. And we have, you know, researchers work with qualitative data and they work with quantitative data. Um, Usually there's more of a specialization between one of the two for a given researcher, kind of depending on what your background is. But we do try to use mixed methods. So a mix of qualitative and quantitative because quantitative is good. It's, it's more challenging. It's much more technical to work with. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I'm stronger with qualitative. Qualitative also sometimes takes a lot more time because that's where you get into going into the field and observing your users and spending a long time. Like a lot of roots in these methodologies, you know, they come from academic research. They come from um, ethnography. Okay. So, yeah. So that begs the question, Teresa, for somebody like me who has a fear of math and numbers (laughs) Uh, When you said quantitative, I'm like, okay, how has that, for somebody like me, who's got that fear of numbers, is it easy to overcome? Not that fear, but are there, can you make it in this field as a UX researcher? Yeah, I certainly am. Yeah. Okay. Fortunately, I I do work. Project 202 is great about giving you resources to learn about how to do um, either qualitative or quantitative, whichever one that you would want to grow in. Quantitative is, is really important because um, when you make when, when companies make business decisions, they're not going to want to make them off of like 
a sample size of eight users in one study, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to scale your research and to do maybe unmoderated studies that you can scale to hundreds of people, thousands of people through a survey or some other, like, you know, there, there are a lot of un like unmoderated methods to use. Um, okay. Prototyping and doing usability testing. So that, that is a way to get more numbers. And then there's also like market research. This is where uh, a lot of collaboration can happen between like uh, marketing and data scientists. Okay. So you, you, so, so what you're also trying to say is that there are people out there. So you, it's not all on you. Correct. Yes. It, it is not all on you, nor should it be, frankly. Sure. Okay. It be so, but but yeah, I think the important thing is if if you are you know intimidated by statistics and numbers and all that mm -hmm. data visualization, which is not a bad thing by the way, it's perfectly natural. It's really I find that like I'm not scared of it. I'm actually I want to lean into it more when I think of it in terms of what does it mean to get to the truth. Mm. I need numbers to get to the truth, so. How do I get those numbers? Let's do it. Okay. What do I have to learn? You know? Yeah. I like the word lean in. And when you say lean in, it also has the connotation of a support that you have around you that you can lean into. It sure helps. Without overusing it. <laughs> it sure. I mean, I mean, if if you are expected to deliver the numbers, but you are not given the the resources and the space and the time or oh, the time to do that, that is an extremely stressful thing. And that is something that happens a lot in UX in general, but for researchers, because you know, it's it's so easy for the scope of our studies to get blown out of proportion and for people to expect things that we Mm, we we did not scope the time and the resources to do this. There's a lot of people don't understand how much time it does take to do good, you know, qualitative research, especially. It's a lot. It's something I'm still learning to do more efficiently, more proficiently, all of that. Yeah, it's something I, I am excited to grow in. I would say this applies to anyone getting into a new, like either technical writing or UX, or even if you're, you're pretty experienced, I think even, you know, mid to experience level professionals who are in the business of finding the truth and telling the truth and advocating for solutions. It's to stay grounded in your intuition that is based on the evidence that you found in your interviews, in your experience with a product. Stay grounded in that and find your confidence in that. It's, well it's, said. Yeah. Well no, said. But yeah. Trust yourself. In the good trust order. yourself. Yes. And on that note, Teresa, thank you so much. This was a great conversation and thank you for taking the time and for sharing your, your wonderful journey with us. Thanks for having me on, Zora. I hope your listeners enjoyed this and have more questions to ask. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I have. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share on your social media to help me reach a wider audience. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, including Apple, Google or Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at InsideTechCom or visit us at www.insidetechcom.show for the latest updates. Catch you on another episode.